You're listening to Warriors in the Dust, the official Fink Desert Race podcast. So listen up now. Hello there again and welcome to Warriors in the Dust. We're up to episode 9 and as we record this a bunch of you are likely to be experiencing vastly different emotions. Some of you will be eager with anticipation, jumping out of your jocks with excitement with just days to go before you get your chance to ride, drive, navigate or simply watch the Fink Desert Race. It may have been something you've been wanting to do for years, maybe even decades, and now the time is near. Good luck to you all, and I hope you have a great, safe time. For others, most likely from Victoria, your emotions might have been building to a similar crescendo when just a couple of weeks ago, with the race so close you could taste the dust, your hopes and dreams were dashed by the COVID-19 lockdown in that state, for this year at least. Whatever you're feeling, whether it's the high of packing your gear and hitting the road ready for the race, or the low of a year's, maybe longer, lost planning and preparation, they're both legitimate. Get around your mates, try and keep yours and their spirits up. Hopefully, next year is the one. This episode, we meet the man behind the fantastic feature documentary, Fink, There and Back, Dylan River. If you've seen it, you'll know how good it is. If you haven't, you should. You can watch it on the streaming service, Stan. It simply is one of the best sports documentaries I've seen in a long time. If you've had your hopes to attend this year's race dashed, it might just be the medicine you need to get you through this tough time. Or maybe not, it might just prolong your agony. But Dylan River has ridden the Fink several times himself. And maybe that's why he's been able to capture the essence of the race so well. That's Dylan River, cinematographer, writer and director of There and Back on this episode of Warriors in the Dust. Joining me at the top of the show is two-time Fink winner Rick Hall. Hi there, Rick. How are you going? G'day, Murray. Sorry I'm late, um, but here anyway. Not that anyone will know that I'm late, but I'm late. <laughs> no worries. Always prepared to wait for you, Rick. Now, I've long thought that it's the Americans who do sports documentaries best. Um, you might call them feature documentaries. One that comes to mind is Dust to Glory, and that takes a look at the Baja 1000, a fantastic film. And I think, Rick, I first saw that at your house, actually. And really? yeah, I believe so. And the English can do them well too, but there's been a dearth of Australian sports documentaries or feature sports documentaries, I would have said, but our guest for this episode has gone some way to correcting that with Fink There and Back, a fantastic look at the 2017 Fink Desert Race and Dylan River, director and cinematographer, and I believe writer probably, joins us now. G'day, Dylan. How are you? Good, mate. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. And Dylan, perhaps first we will go way back. We'll stay way, start way back. From Alice Springs, of course, um, what's your earliest memories of the Fink Desert Race? And uh, did it light a fuse under you at that, at that time? Or did it, was it a developing relationship? My first experience of the Fink Desert Race was actually when I moved back from Sydney. I'd spent kind of my younger years there. And I came back to Alice Springs in 2005 
for the fink then. And I think we arrived in Alice a month before and the fink fever was already sort of felt in town. And my dad was actually racing that year. It was his first fink. Till then, I'd never really been around any dirt bikes. All I'd heard about them was through my dad and he talked about this mystical fink desert race and uh, he was going to be involved. And, yeah, my first experience of fink was going to, to Apachula and, and waiting for my dad to arrive on a CR500. Very cool. And, and I know that um, Dylan is a fan of the CR500. He actually has one at home and I think he's done a couple, maybe three finks with it. And he's also done some really good... Uh, some good YouTube footage of him on his 500. So how many things have you done, Dylan? I've actually lost count. I think it's only because I haven't finished many of them, but I think I've done eight <laughs> on a bike and one, one in a car. Of those eight, I finished three, I think. Not good odds. <laughs> but pretty good result, you were telling me before. What's the best result you've recorded? My first one when I was 16, I finished 80th, I think, which was, you know, a bit of a learning curve. but you know, my uncles and stuff told me, look, you just have to finish. The first race, you just got to finish it. And that's what I did. And the next one, I, you know, grew a little bit of muscle and a little bit more, I don't know, bigger balls, I guess, and um, came 25th in my second think. And then I had a series of DNFs after that, three in a row. So, yeah, it's been, been a roller coaster. DNFs aren't fun, mate, not at all. Is that where you where you started to think of making a film around Fink? Was it was it that early? Yeah, I, I think definitely. It's probably you know my fourth or fifth Fink that my filmmaking career as as a profession was was growing, and that's what I was doing for a daily job. And I started to think, how could I culminate the two? You know, my, my love of motorsports, especially desert racing and Fink, and and filmmaking and. You know, I think, I think you actually learn more from DNFs than you do from finishing the race, you know. Um, you learn more from your mistakes. So I was realising I wasn't going to win Fink, you know, which is definitely my dream as a teenager and, and you know, the impending risks and how my work was taking over my life and not leaving much time to prepare. I, I thought, well, maybe maybe my legacy or, or what I can do is, is give back to the race that's given me so much and, and make an in-depth film about it. How do those thoughts sort of gel? I mean, there's so many possible angles you could take if you're going to make a movie about the Fink. There's a few hundred competitors for a start. There's a few hundred kilometres as well. So um, how do you start to bring that together into the production that you finally came up with? We can't avoid, I think, the impending dangers of it. I think that was really a big part of it for me was... You know, a close friend of mine, Isaac Elliott, who's in the film, he was paralysed in his first pre-running ever did down the track. Uh, I've had other mates when I was a teenager die pre-running. You know, you, we'd always hear about Randall Gregory and, you know, how he won five in a row and then and then had his accident. So I think it was, it was really that question within me of why do we do it? Because I still want to do it. I still want to race. All, you know, we kind of forget all of these dangers. And so to explore that and and, and especially, you know, because motorsports are inherently dangerous, but for people who are racing it as a hobby, you know, not to get paid, not not as a profession, you know, it's, it, it really brings up that question. That, that's really interesting, mate, too, because you, you're dead right when we're on the bike, uh, the rest of the world melts away and uh, we're just out there with the wind through our helmet and basically living stress-free and it's not until we have those uh, those mishaps that it becomes a reality. And, and, mate, the, the, the way you captured the race and the way you captured the scenery is it just, 
maybe it stems from DNFs and looking around the country, I don't know, mate, is that just something you, you have a natural gift for? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's something I'm still developing, I guess. I mean, I wanted to tell a story about, really about my mates, you know, to, to have you involved, to have Scruff Hamill involved, which I know from Sydney, and, you know, Luke Hayes, David Walsh. It was, it was really like giving them a voice, you know. You know, I'm a huge fan of Toby Price and he has done an amazing job to promote the race and done what no one else can do and he probably will continue for many years. But, you know, I feel like I wanted to tell the, the, the story of the locals. Toby does have a really interesting story. It, it actually probably something you could do with him one day is uh, tell his whole story, not just parts of it, because um, very humble beginnings and uh, he seems to everything he touches turns to gold. And, um, yeah, he, he, he is full of aware, aware of the dangers. Do you, do you, have you ever had a one-on-one with him? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I went to his house in the Gold Coast and uh, did an interview with him to talk about the race and, you know, it was it was interesting that the year we filmed was the year he he decided not to be on the bike, and I think it was quite for the benefit of the of, of the film and what we made. You know, it was a very big believer in the universe, sort of presenting stories and, and just going with the flow. And and the way that race panned out couldn't have been written any better. You know, I think um, to be able to take that attention away from Toby being in the in the bike category and and really just open up the field was a benefit for us. And you mentioned how the the race panned out. It, it was an exciting and intriguing finish to the race. And one of the great skills, or or one of the great credits of the film, is that you you capture that moment when David Walsh, way out in the lead, his bike breaks down, and then you're also at the uh, refueling spots as the following competitors come through. Is that the gold you were looking for as much as, a, as, as it involves yeah. heartache for the competitors or some of them? Is, it, uh, is that what you were after to make a film? Yeah, it's, it's very difficult to talk about the goals I had. I mean, we knew we needed to create drama and suspense to, to make an interesting film. And, and by d- to do that, we positioned cameras along the track. Well, I think we had 15 different camera operators um, who we most of which flew into Alice Springs and put them in places where I knew there would be drama, which are fuel stops uh, at the start, at the end. And then obviously we had the helicopters covering the whole thing. And as much as I didn't want my friends to get hurt or to DNF, or, you know, have engine malfunctions, I, I knew that something like that is what we needed, you know, to, to, to build these characters up, build what they were aspiring to do that race, and then to have it all crumble and get taken away from them was was definitely something I knew we needed, but didn't want to happen <laughs> to anyone. So when that happened to David, I was in the the helicopter following him, and um, the yeah, it was a very bittersweet moment to see that unfold live on the screens. It would have made a great follow up. The next year when he finally broke through and won wouldn't it absolutely absolutely i think um now in hindsight i can go you know he can look back and go it doesn't matter because he has got one under his belt and he may have two under his belt after this year but um that was just a freak freak thing that happened that year you know i know that the cadian team has put exp- extensive testing on those motors and done thousands and thousands of kilometers up and down the track with absolutely no problem you know that bike that they ride is unbelievable and then it just went kapoof, you know. That moment 
is also one of the beautiful moments of the film, I think, and also a great credit to David Walsh at that fuel stop. He's brought back by the helicopter, but he still encourages the next mm. rider coming through. Um, no, uh, was Damon, Damon, Damon Stokey yeah. and then Luke. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's hard to talk about, but, you know, Damon and, and what happened that year to him or the following year, you know, it just, for me, again, it's that universal sort of storytelling and us being presented with that moment to shoot that year and cover his legacy and, and, and winning that race. And in, in that moment of David handing over the lead, I guess, after the malfunction of his motor, it, it, I don't know, it really shows what a top bloke he is, you know, besides the team orders and KDM versus Yamaha and, you know, at the end of the day, Damon's a good mate of his and, you know, he wanted to tell him to bring it home and be safe and, and get it done. It was just a beautiful moment, I thought, Rick. Yeah, it was an incredible moment and so good that, that uh, Dylan could capture it. One thing I don't know if Dylan realises this, but the most danger he put his cameraman in is when he sent him, sent him to the Curicville pub. Do you realise that, Dylan? <laughs> My, the, the cameraman I actually sent there was the person I thought could keep up with those fellas, you know, <laughs> capture the shenanigans. But he actually, after the second day, he came back to town and said, I can't stay out there another night. I can't do it. <laughs> I'm like, but have, you, have you shot something? Have you got some stuff? He's like, I've got gold, but I just can't stay with them again. <laughs> Far too dangerous. Far too dangerous. Absolutely. Um, and I think those those boys definitely put on a show for the camera. You know, they're they're uh, they're like, oh, cameraman's here this year. We're gonna we're gonna show him what the territory is all about. They certainly did turn it up. We ironically we arrived there not long after your cameraman left, and they were all very, uh, for warning of a better word, doughy. And they saw that we were there, and they turned it up again. And I do understand why your cameraman left. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was a there was a couple of fights. There was a fella knocked out. The the mechanical ball was uh, someone got launched into the air, and uh, it was Never something to behold. <laughs> <laughs> and how many takes did it take to uh, get Rick's lines right? Oh, Rick's a professional through and through. <laughs> no, we we had a. I think we we sat down for two or three hours for that interview. You know, Rick. Obviously, you're someone I really wanted in the documentary, being so knowledgeable about Fink and, you know, helping me out because I can kind of, I have a bit of an idea of who's won when, but you definitely get the facts right. No, it was a privilege to be part of it, mate, and I get asked about it every day. And uh, and it's really easy, as you know, it's really easy to talk about something that you love and uh, and, and, in, and in what we call God's country. So I thank you for that, mate. No, thank and, you. And you're a professional, obviously, Dylan. Is there scope in the future, do you think, for... Uh, more sort of feature documentary types on sport or what, what's, what's the direction you hope to move into from here? Yeah. I mean, documentaries are there. You got to be very passionate about the subject you're making it about. And I was for think, you know, and that was a good year of my life to put that film together. Um, and after that, you don't really want to jump into a project similar for quite a while, but now that it's been a couple of years, I'm, I'm getting the itch back, I think to, to embark on another another film similar. Um, you know, I, I, I've been working on uh, more drama TV as a director and that comes with a, a different sort of, a different world. You have a lot more support and you have scripts to follow, obviously. Something, something's quite frightening about covering Fink or, or covering a film similar is there is no script and you are, 
you know, just waiting for the story to unfold. And, and that brings a lot of angst, I think, <laughs> hoping that there will be a story. But, you know, I've, I've been thinking, you know, being in the film industry and, and I've been doing a lot of second unit directing, which is usually more of the stunts on films and, and working with a lot of stunties. I've, I've, I've thought maybe I want to do a film on, on Australian stunt men and women, you know, from the Mad Max days to, to today and, and how things have changed. But similar to think they're sort of the unsung heroes of the film industry, you know. You worked on Sweet Country with your dad, Warwick Thornton, I believe. Um, was that filmed in Central Australia too? And is there, a, is there that constant draw back? back to home if you like oh absolutely i think um i'm you know number one passionate about telling stories close to home making films here about about my community about about my world and, and making change you know trying to trying to tell films of importance that give light to to subjects in australian history that we might not have talked about before or um or just giving people a voice so yeah for, for me that's first and foremost is making making films in central australia close to home yeah, there's actually, I was going to say, there's, a, there's some amazing footage in God's country. I, 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 I sought it out when I was uh, interstate and uh, ended up in a dinky little cinema in some suburb of Adelaide watching it. And um, There's a beautiful scene where the characters are, and were in, a, I think, a camel train. They're walking across the Ewaninga Ranges and uh, it's at sunset. And I think Dylan took that shot and that just, just describes basically how good he is because it's amazing <laughs> thanks mate it, one of the difficult things was you know we, we we obviously followed a lot of characters that haven't made the cut you know there was and one of one of which was was the whole car category because you know i had this idea of okay it's going to be about think it's going to be the you know people behind the scenes the volunteers the ambulances the police the the bike riders and the car drivers and uh, what we found quite quickly in the edit that was this film doesn't have room for cars and bikes and I had to make a choice and unfortunately the cars got the cut. Um, but I've got a whole other film sitting on hard drives here, uh, which is the film of cars of that year, which was quite amazing as well. It was quite a, quite a suspenseful story. But, you know, it sucks doing that, cutting, having to cut people out who have given you a lot of time. Talking to Dylan River, the uh, cinematographer, director, uh, scriptwriter for uh, Think There and Back. And Dylan, we're going to put you on the spot a little bit here. I didn't warn you about this beforehand. I probably should have. But usually we pause during the interview and speak to Rick and get a tip from him for uh, uh, potential <laughs> competitors or spectators, that kind of thing. Uh, his, his top tip for the week as to how they should prepare or get ready for the race is there and I'll, I'll give you a, a little bit of uh, listening music if you need it but uh or thinking music if you need it but is there something that comes to mind that whether you're a competitor spectator whatever is there something that comes to mind that you think is the most important tip if you're going to the fink oh bring beers <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think there's so there's so many important tips. I've actually got about 20 friends from Sydney coming up for their first think this year. And I won't be able to be with them because I'll be navigating in a car um, again this year. But I'm trying to work out how you introduce someone to think in a safe way, but also the most fun way and, and give them a spot to camp down the track. I mean, look, don't stand on the outside of corners. That's an important tip. Um, 
after being in the, after being in the car in 2019, I've realised how out of control we actually are. Um, <laughs> we may look professional, but we are, you know. And, and um, you know, I think everyone to be safe. Yeah, I mean, for competitors riding, you know, I think really take it easy and learn the track. I think learning the track is the most important thing. Um, and it's hard for a lot of people who obviously don't live in Alice Springs and we have that that benefit. But um, make sure you can, even if you were to drive down there slowly in the car and look at it, that would be something, you know. Who are you navigating for? Uh, a friend of mine, Shannon Lander, we've, we've got a car together, which we built over the last five years, um, Class 2 trophy truck. And um, we DNF'd in 2019 and uh, we're hoping to finish this year. Um, there's a lot of teething problems with the car that year. That was the first year we'd run it. But, yeah, it's, it's interesting, the car thing. I, I, I definitely, I almost paid them out in the film or, or Ben Dick actually paid them out, not me. But um, I and now am in one. <laughs> and um, so I'm sort of learning about it and, and realising that, you know, you race a bike and you're sort of thinking, don't crash, don't crash, don't step out, just get there, you know. And now you're in the car going, don't break down, don't break down, don't break down, because they're just, I kind of, we're definitely going, you go in with the mindset, it's probably going to break. If it doesn't, that's great. You know, it's sort of like, yeah, um, definitely anyway, our car especially, but looking forward to it. You may have more luck on the bike, Dylan, than you did on, uh, in the car yeah. than you did on the bike, rather. So, uh, so here's hoping, mate. Yeah, absolutely. We had a wild ride in 2019. There were some photos that were, we looked more like an aeroplane than a car. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we've sorted our suspension out now. And, you know, what, what, what we do have or what I feel like I have as a navigator is, is that track knowledge of a bike rider. And I feel like a lot of people racing the car probably don't have that. And so I hope that I can I definitely bring that, that skill set to our team and keep it on two wheels, four wheels, actually. Well, what's yeah, hopefully for what's your uh, direction as a navigator? What's what's your instructions? What's what's the scope of that? What what are you saying? Oh, we're still. I mean, some people take pace notes, I think, and and treat it like a rally. We're not doing that. It's it's rather. I sort of put my hand up in front of his face, going left or right, or put put the kind of spread the palm out for a slowdown. Um, if whoops are coming up, I sort of make the shape of whoops with my hand. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's kind of it. I mean, we have comms so we can talk to each other. I mean, I look at the gauges. I've got a horn button if we come up behind another car to pass. Really, I think the navigator's main thing is if you get a flat, <laughs> jump out and change it. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that, like, I've driven the car a bunch of times as well and, Driving, it's fun, but the adrenaline rush of being a navigator is way higher. You know, it's it, it, that sense of being out of control and knowing you're out of control and having to entrust <laughs> it to someone else is the ultimate adrenaline rush. Is it a weird feeling, mate, when you're going through the whoops, knowing that you're only touching every second one and you're basically on a path, you're not actually in control? Is it is a bit of a weird feeling? Yeah, well, that's the thing with a bike. Once you're in the air, you can kind of still judge where you're going to land, how you're going to land and make those minute sort of adjustments with your body weight. But in a car, you just, you're along for the ride. And we, we, in 2019, we were going through the first set of whoops at the 20K mark. And I just, we were out of control. The suspension wasn't set up in the car properly. And we were skimming the top of them, trying to keep the speed up. And then we just dropped into one and just launched into the air, all four wheels <laughs> off the air. 
and I just saw the crowd, this wall of people just <laughs> disappeared into the mulga bush because they saw we were out of control. And then we came down hit an, and bottomed out in another bush, went back up into the air, and I was just hoping to God that when we came down there was no people, no cars, no nothing in front of us because all you could see is sky, you know. Um, and that was sort of the, the start of the end of, of our uh, now 2019 i think we made it to the 150k mark and then we snapped an arm and two of the front shocks but um we're in a much better place this year so i just uh wanted to know where how much feedback over the years since um since he's released uh there and back that dylan's got because i've gotten a a, a lot of feedback about how great it is to what about you dylan you uh have people pull you up and talk to you about it yeah absolutely it's nice it, for me. It's most nice when I hear it come from someone who's not into motorsports, you know, uh, whether it's other crew on a film set or or someone who might talk about the film not realizing I've been a part of making it. And when we had screenings around the country, we went on a bit of a road tour two years ago, and someone would bring their mum along, and that's how I didn't expect to like it, but I really liked it. You know, it's it's that feedback that I I really found rewarding, and we're actually screening it uh next week in the Alice Springs cinema we've got a few sessions leading up to Fink so you know even if if people have seen it I hope that they could get along and see the the full cinematic version you know we've we've produced it with surround sound and and there's nothing like seeing it on the big screen well I'm planning to uh test it on my wife and if uh she gives it the Mm -hmm. thumbs up that's the ultimate test I believe Mm -hmm. Dylan um has it got any attention overseas Is, is it something that translates uh overseas there's actually still a release plan to happen overseas, which has been a bit slow, but COVID sort of put a stop for it for a while. But, you know, it, ultimately we'd like to crack the American and European market with the film and really to, to promote it around the world. Um, it is spreading and, and, and Toby Price has done a great job of making people uh, everywhere who are into desert racing aware of Think. But hopefully we see, see some more American and international competitors coming in the next couple of years. I know that there's new rules going to the car class, which is going to allow the Americans to be able to bring their unlimited cars here, which would be pretty exciting to see them try and try and have a crack at Fink and see what it's all about. I just want to thank Dylan for coming on. I know he's very busy and uh, we're quite privileged to have him because I, I can't think of, a, think of a better format to talk about his movie than this one. So thank you, Dylan. Thanks, fellas, and thanks for making the podcast. Um, it's really, really exciting to see this come this year. Uh, good on you, Dylan. We really appreciate your time. Uh, as Rick says, you are a busy man and a great accomplishment. The film there and back, uh, I loved it, and everybody who sees it seems to love it. So uh, really appreciate your time. Good luck this year in the car, and uh, good luck with the future career as well. Thanks, fellas. That's it for this episode, folks. A massive thank you to Dylan River, the main man behind Fink, There and Back, and what a film it is. If you're listening to this on Monday morning, the 7th, then you can catch it at the Alice Springs Cinema. If you're not, then catch it on Stan. It really has been done well. Just days to go now. Commiserations to the Victorians who are going to miss out due to the COVID lockdown. And best of luck to all the others with your preparations. We've got one more episode scheduled before the weekend, which we hope to release on Thursday. And with a bit of luck, that episode will feature one of the top hopes in the bikes. 
So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, I'm Murray Silby. Stay safe, be happy and go fast. You've been listening to Warriors in the Dust, the official Fink Desert Race podcast. Move along now.